This episode is brought to you by Tommy's Express Car Wash. Join the Tommy Club. You can download the Tommy Club app and enjoy endless washing for one low price, Derek. That means unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, which, by the way, I've taken advantage of. It's kind of like the the express lane on the highway. You don't necessarily like to lord over everybody else, but when you're zooming through and getting in to get your car washed first, like that's why it's called Tommy's Express, right? You get unlimited access to all their locations, unlimited guest service, and perhaps most importantly, unlimited happiness, Derek. And I think that's something that we just don't emphasize nearly enough in life. I'm looking at your car right now. I'm thinking it could maybe use a trip to Tommy's Express. What do you got going on later? Thinking maybe you should stop there on your way home. You going to at least consider it? I will absolutely be going to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Now, the, the outside of your car, the exterior, it does look okay. Where my concern begins is the interior of your car. Yeah. When you have I, a, I don't a think dog. You, I don't think the inside of that car has seen a deep cleaning in quite some time. No, when you have a dog, when you have a golden retriever, you got hair everywhere. And they have those vacuums that, you know, it's going to get out for you. So, yeah, I'm definitely making an appointment. Tommy's Express Car Wash. What I love about the, the vacuums at Tommy's Express, the cord comes down from the top. So, you're not having to try and wrap it around your car and getting yourself into a pretzel. No, very flexible vacuums. You want to go to the left side of the car, the right side of your car. You're perfectly good. Tommy's Express Car Wash. Wash, rinse, repeat. All right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. We don't got time for that. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. It's a good news, bad news sort of deal. That's the way the Bills self-described it when giving us a little bit of an update on KU's encounter with COVID-19 and what they're going to look like this weekend in the first round of it and maybe the second round of the NCAA tournament. Bill Self had a press conference earlier today. We'll let you hear more of that coming up uh, in the next segment. But we do have an update on David McCormick, on Tristan and Aruna, and on Jalen Wilson as to when or if we should be expecting to see any of those players. We'll talk about it on the other side, but first, here is Bill Self's update from earlier today. David will arrive here Friday morning. So he will practice with us Friday. Uh, we do know that. So uh, Tristan will not make the trip. Tristan tested positive earlier this week uh, after after numerous negative tests in a row. So uh, uh, he will be he will remain in Lawrence until uh, following week, and then uh, if, if we're fortunate enough to advance, and then Jalen, uh, it, it looks like that he'll be uh, coming to Indy on on uh, Monday. So uh, uh, that's that's where we are. David will be here and in uniform on Saturday. Jalen could be in uniform on Monday. And uh, Tristan will not be in uniform the first two games. Okay, so we can deduce a few things from that announcement. Dave is going to play 
on Saturday. He is coming to Indianapolis or going to Indianapolis on Friday. He will practice with the team and then he will play on Saturday. That would tell me that if he is cleared to go by Friday, that he tested positive last week, probably started showing symptoms on Monday. That would be his day zero. Tristan and Aruna did not. Tristan was at the time wiped out due to contact tracing. The two guys are roommates. So Dave tests positive. He has to go out. Tristan, due to contact tracing, had to sit out. And over the last couple of days, Tristan has tested positive, which sort of kicks his clock back another 11 days now. So from today or yesterday, uh, we have to, I guess it was Sunday night, he said. We have to start that clock for Tristan and Aruna. Dave tested positive. We'll be good to go by Saturday. The big nugget there, though, is that Jalen Wilson could be in uniform by Monday. So that means if there is a late game on Monday, if Kansas wins on Saturday, then we could see Jalen Wilson. So now there becomes a new host of questions. Let's start first with Dave, because at first we didn't know whether it was just contact tracing or if he tested positive. Now that we know that Dave tested positive, we sort of amplify the question of what's he going to be like? Now that we know he had the virus, how much should you expect him to play? How effective should you expect him to be on Saturday after he will only have been with the team and will only have practiced one time after having COVID? Was he symptomatic? We don't know. But we know that he had it. And now we know that he's probably going to be a little bit out of shape, right? You're isolated to your room. You can't even leave. You can't even go work out. This guy is not going to be in playing shape. So 24 minutes a game is what he's given you this year. I'd be shocked if he played more than 20. I'm probably looking somewhere around the 10 to 12 range. That's just my guess. Bill Self at the presser today was asked if he's been able to do anything while he's been out just in terms of conditioning and staying in shape. I don't think so. I, I, I really don't, uh, CJ. I think that, uh, you know, he says he's feeling well, but I don't know about any workout activity or anything like that, that, that he would be doing on his own because, you know, he's isolated to the room and to the dormitory. So, uh, you know, if he's doing stuff, it's, it's, it's certainly, uh, uh, hopefully because he's feeling better, but that's not something that, that, that we have, uh, you know, encouraged trying to get him to do. So I would think you go into this matchup on Saturday, almost like expecting not to play David. I would be sitting, if I'm sitting here today, if I'm the Kansas coaching staff, I'm expecting that when David gets to Indianapolis on Friday, he doesn't look good. He looks sluggish. His stamina is down. He looks rusty, maybe a little out of shape. You have to expect that. And if that's what you're expecting, then you're not going to be expecting him to play a huge role. Now, if he is ready to go, then I think you throw him out there, right? And you push because it's the NCAA tournament. Like, what are you going to save him for? But if he's going to hold you back in any regard, if he's just not going to be in shape, then yeah, I think you sort of have to have the mentality today that he's not going to help you all that much, if at all, on Saturday. The nugget there that I think caught a lot of people by surprise was the idea that all of a sudden there's a possibility that Jalen Wilson could play on Monday. He didn't speak with the same level of certainty he spoke about with Dave. With Dave, he said, no, Dave's joining the team on Friday. He's going to be in uniform on Saturday. With Jalen, it was more of a, it's a possibility. We'll see how things go. 
he was asked to sort of follow up to what all would need to take place in order for Jalen to be ready to go on Monday. Well, we, we don't know. Well, that that's if, you know, obviously if we're fortunate enough to advance, but we, right. don't, yeah. we don't know what time the game time is. Uh, you know, there's certain protocols that have to be met uh, getting here. You know, if it's later in the day, it would probably help, but we don't have any control over that. So I'm almost entering this weekend expecting you'll be without on Saturday. You'll be without Jalen. I, it's, it's a positive sign. It's sort of weird. It's a positive sign that Dave is going to be with the team, yet it doesn't really do anything to bolster your confidence that he's going to be that effective. I mean, it, it, you can't just take a week and a half off and expect to pick up where you left off. It'd be one thing if he were just taking a week and a half off because, you know, he had to isolate due to contact tracing. But the fact that you had it, it just makes me wonder how effective you can be. And you don't want a guy out there that's going to be a liability. You know, I wonder how much of it is is defense, too. When you saw Baylor have to basically take three weeks off last month, the biggest thing that changed when they got back was that their defense was no longer playing at an elite level. Their defense wasn't even playing at an above-average level. Their defense was lousy. Like, offensively, they could still make shots, right? They still have their sets. They still have shooters. I don't think you lose shooting touch by taking that much time off. You go to the gym for a couple hours, you're going to get it back, right? These are high-level athletes. But what do we always hear about defense? We hear it from Bill Self. We hear that defense is about effort. It's about want to. If you want to be a good defender, you can will yourself to be a good defender. Well, it's tough to will yourself to be a good defender when you have no stamina, when you have no energy. Early in the season, when it was Gonzaga versus Baylor, which team was better? We thought it was Gonzaga at the beginning. Then all of a sudden, Baylor looked so good to start conference play. We thought maybe Baylor's better than Gonzaga. The, the trump card they had over the Zags was that while Gonzaga has this elite offense that nobody can really game plan for, they don't have a top two or three defense, but Baylor did. Baylor hasn't had a top five defense. They haven't had a top 20 defense. They haven't had a top 40 defense since their bout with COVID and they had to shut down for three weeks. Dave isn't the reason why Kansas has played elite defensively over the last month and a half, but he's a big part of it. And I wonder how much we have to change our outlook on this defense, at least in the short term, at least for this weekend. Because at full strength, without a run-in with COVID, I'm entering the NCAA tournament looking at Kansas as having perhaps the best defense in the country. You can say, well, the, the, the overall body of work wouldn't say they're the best. They'd say they're really good. They're top 10, but they're not the best. Over the last month and a half, you could say that they're the best. I test, look at the advanced metrics. They would all indicate that this is an elite defensive team, that there is not a single power five program that has played better defense over the last month and a half, since the beginning of February, than Kansas has. That's a large enough sample size for me to say this is who they are now. You look at the head coach, and then it only reinforces it. But now, you know, you're without Dave, or you've got a, a rusty Dave, you're without Jalen. Those aren't your two best defenders, but they're two of your starters. They both provide length. I think Dave is... An upgrade defensively, 
over Mitch. I think Jalen's an upgrade defensively over whoever is going to be taking his minutes. We'll play the Bill Self audio here in a minute, but it sounds like Tyon Grant Foster should expect to play on Saturday. In fact, Bill Self said he's going to play on Saturday. These lineups are going to be interesting. I know we initially thought that it was just going to be all Mitch, but there's going to be a handful of guys who are getting some, some added opportunities than what we've seen sort of late in the season. But I wonder... With all of these dudes, Tyon, Mitch, looking at increased roles at the most critical juncture of your season, how much we should pull the reins back on our expectations for this team defensively. And if we have to do that, should you maybe pull your reins back in general on your confidence level with this team? Because the defense is their identity. It's their calling card. Of course, you still have Marcus Garrett, best one-on-one defender in the country. You've still got a plus defender in Ochai. Dwan Harris is proving to be a pest, a nuisance defensively. Maybe not a lockdown defender, but uh, somebody you'd call maybe opportunistic. He's shown that in spades over the last couple of games. You've still got some pieces, but are those pieces enough to make you an elite defense? And without an elite defense, can this offense do enough to make you one of the top 10 teams in the country, the level that you've played at since the beginning of February. It's good to have a calling card. It's good to have a niche, something to hang your hat on. Hey, if nothing else is working, at least we can rely upon this. The answer to that for this team has been their D. Is that still going to be the case now without Jalen Wilson for at least one game and with whatever version of Dave that we're going to get? You know, Dave practices on Friday and looks great then maybe all of this is a wash and it doesn't really mean anything. But it seems like it would be asking a lot for Dave to come back. He's been away from the team since at least last Tuesday to go 11 days without practicing, without working out with the team, without conditioning, essentially isolated to his room, without doing anything basketball-related to come back and look like the guy we saw who was averaging 16-6 and over his last 12 games. That'd be great, but I'm not sure how much we should be holding our breath on that being the case. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star is going to join the show coming up later this hour. I'll get his thoughts on that. We'll talk, We'll hear from Bill Self coming up here in just a couple of minutes. This Open is brought to you by Cyclezone Power Sports. If you own a large chunk of land, you're probably always fixing things or hauling stuff around. You might be stuck using your pickup, which, by the way, is just complete overkill. You're using a golf cart, a small four-wheeler, which can't always get to those muddy places or carry everything you need. CycleZone Power Sports carries a line of workhorse side-by-sides called the Defender. Payloads up to 1,700 pounds, towing capacity to 3,000 pounds, perfect for carrying everything you need. Defenders feature three- and six-person models with an optional enclosure so you can keep cool or warm in whatever weather. And even though these things pack up to 82 horsepower, they're super quiet, which means they're perfect for hunting, especially if you get it in camo. Stop by CycleZone Power Sports in North Topeka and check out the Can-Am Defenders. Let's hear from Bill Self talking to the media earlier today. That next. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. So the Hawks will be without Jalen Wilson and without Tristan and Aruna on Saturday. But Bill Self clarifying that David McCormick will travel to Indianapolis on Friday and should be available to suit up on Saturday. Jesse Newell, Kansas City star, joins us now on the show. 
Now that we know that, Jesse, how much are you expecting David McCormick to play on Saturday? Are you expecting him to play on Saturday? And if he does, how effective are you expecting him to be? (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good question, Nick. Um, I sort of have two feelings about this, you know. Um, The first one is just basically that you shouldn't expect too much. And we obviously all saw Baylor, you know, obviously Kansas gets credit for the win against Baylor at home, but Baylor didn't look like itself even three weeks after their little COVID pause with some of their guys not looking like they were in game shape. And obviously shooting-wise, we're off a little bit. So to ask a kid 10 days after testing positive, and again, if he didn't have as many symptoms, potentially he feels better than other people. It affects people all differently. But still to ask him to, to walk on the floor, you know, one day after arriving in Indianapolis and just come out there and be the normal Dave McCormick is probably a lot to ask. However, having said that, um, I think Bill Self, more than anybody else, tends to get heroic production from guys like this over the course of time. You know, I remember – who Tyson Taylor didn't he have like knee surgery and came back like mm-hmm. six days later at Allen Fieldhouse and led the team in scoring and played like 32 minutes. Uh, I think back to Yudoka Azabuki who had that big bulky brace, wasn't supposed to be back, all those sorts of things after he missed the Big 12 tournament. And then he played like 27, 28 minutes when there was not much expected of him in that game. So I, I'm kind of being pulled both directions here. I, I think the reality of the situation is exactly what you said it was, Nick, which is KU shouldn't expect too much from Dave McCormick in this game. You could put him out there, see how he does, probably shouldn't start him, all those sorts of things. But like I said, Bill Self guys, Kansas guys, have a tendency to surprise and do more than you think they're going to do. So um, we shall see. It's it's obviously a very interesting question for Kansas going into this game with uh, very, very few post players and then very few backup five. You know, Mitch Lightfoot can play, but the two guys you'd consider as backup fives behind them would be Jalen Wilson and Tristan and Aruna. Neither one of them are available. So this is a pretty tricky situation for self, especially in a one and done tournament. We'll see how KU fares with David and then potentially how they will have to fare without him if he doesn't play that well. But uh, it is a very, very interesting question. It's probably the, the biggest question of this first round for the Jayhawks. Do you think Bill Self and the staff are, are sitting here today expecting not to get much from David? Like You have to prepare that way, right? And yeah, and that's what he said, but <laughs> I also think that could change very quickly, right? I mean, if KU throws him out there at the 14-minute mark and the Jayhawks start playing better and he seems to have his wind and balance and everything seems fine, um, you hear Bill Self say it all the time with you know the injury things. Where How many times has he said, well, this guy's not – it's not an injury where you can make it worse. You know what I mean? It's not something where you can make it worse. I think that's always kind of in his mind when it comes to this stuff. It's like, can you um, ex- exacerbate an injury? Can you, can you have it – you know, can, can you be in danger of, of making things uh, – putting them in a worse position than they were before by being out there? And this one seems like the ultimate answer of no. You know what I mean? Like – if Dave McCormick feels fine and if he can run okay, I mean, he's not going to make his COVID symptoms worse, you know what I mean, or potentially getting back from COVID worse. So, yeah, I, I think KU goes in trying to prepare different ways. And, you know, Bill Self, you mentioned today how potentially Christian Brown or Marcus Garrett could play the five position if, if KU needed them to in this first-round game, which 
obviously is not something that the coaching staff would have ever wanted or prepared for for their one and you know their their one and done first round game uh, where one loss you can go home. But I think you do have to prepare for the worst and then just hope for the best. But in hoping for the best, like I said, the best could be really good. Uh, David could get out there and be fine. You know, I mean, it's it's not like it's a uh, an ankle or a knee or a back or, or something where you feel weird about playing him extended minutes. I mean, this is just going to be as much as David feels comfortable playing. And if he feels comfortable, then there's really no risk as to keeping him out there. So it's, it's a, it's a weird situation, obviously. And I don't, I don't, have, to, don't have to keep repeating that, but yeah, for Bill self, this has to be totally unique to other circumstances because even then you kind of would probably feel like you had a sense of whatever injury it was. Hey, this guy can go. He can't go. He's going to feel good. He's not okay. Maybe max of 10 minutes, but this is just completely different. He's going to get a guy the day before the game, um, you know, less than 24 hours most likely, and then basically throw him in there and very quickly make an assessment on whether that guy should be playing or not. So, yeah, so I always Kansas, think of – I mean, oh, sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to well, cut no, go you ahead. off. Well, well, yeah. well, you, you're always at these post-game press conferences with Bill Self, and I always think of things in terms of what am I expecting? What's most likely am I to hear Bill Self say after that game on Saturday? And the two options we're basically throwing out there are, uh, I mean, I, I, we didn't know what to expect from David, but he was the best player on the court, right? Like, that's one, that's the sort of pie in the sky. He could be great and have this heroic effort. I thought he looked great. Yeah, he didn't show any signs. Or the other option is, oh, you could tell right away. He's just not, he's not in good shape. He's not, he wasn't ready to go. I shouldn't probably even throw him out there. Like, which of those is most likely? And I think we'd probably both answer the latter of those responses. And I'm not saying that to, like, I think most people would probably answer that. But that's why I think I'm sitting here today on Wednesday where my mind immediately shifts to, and I know you asked about Tyon Grant Foster. He talked about Christian Brown playing the backup five. Uh, Marcus Garrett could see some time in there. Mitch's role obviously increased. If we are to just sort of assume Dave's not going to be at 100%. Maybe he doesn't play his full complement of minutes even when he's out there. Maybe he's not as effective. How do you assess how you expect this team to look knowing that you're not going to have Jalen Wilson either? You're not going to have Tristan and Aruna. Where do you think we're going to see that impact felt the most? Yeah, that's a good question you asked about. Which do I most expect from self in the postgame press conference? Yeah, start with that one. I would say based off based off his history, I would expect the first one. Okay, (laughs) because that's how it usually turns out for Bill Self. You know, but like reality of this is, and not only that, I mean, let's be completely honest. When David has been completely healthy, and he's gone in there in the first half, about forty percent of the time, fifty percent of the time, he's been kind of lousy too. So, I mean, this isn't like. You know, think of like a consistent player of KU's past, like Sharon Collins. You know what I mean? Like, if Sharon Collins had a bad first three minutes and was sort of injured, you'd stick with him because it's, you know, it's Sharon. And, and David had a great second half of the season, but like, it's going to be sort of hard to parse out. Like, is this COVID? Is this him still responding to that? Is this just him being sped up and out of balance? And then, you know, we've all seen that part of David too. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky question. But like I said, Bill Self, for whatever reason, seems to have these heroic efforts more than you would guess. How does it shake out for KU? I'll tell you one thing that has crossed my mind that's really fascinating. Okay. And this, again, we'll, we'll dip our toe in the advanced stats, Nick. So just we won't okay. go dive head first for everyone out there. I don't want to put anybody to sleep as they're driving on the road or anything like that. But um, so, Tyon, 
is just fascinating to me because here's a guy, Juco, asked to take all the shots, never hesitated, put him up, no big deal. He was the go-to guy, okay? Comes to Kansas, has expectations. It's not working out. You know, he's not that efficient. He's turned the ball over a little bit. Shot too many threes, you know, two for 19 for the year. Um, maybe doesn't understand his role that well and then hasn't played that much. He hasn't played in KU's last five games, okay? But the one thing I want to bring up is usage percentage. I know I brought it up with you, but usage percentage is basically how big of an offensive role do you take on? You know, how aggressive are you? It's basically a numerical number, you know, a, a number for that. 20% is average, Okay. Let's say David can't go, all right, and his usage percentage is 29%. So he is a go-to guy for Kansas. He uses up a lot of possessions when he's in, okay? And let's say that Jalen Wilson, he's not going. He's not going to be there. His usage percentage is 24%, okay? Tristan Anaruna is not going to be there. His usage percentage is 20.1%. So all three of these guys take on above-average offensive loads for Kansas, okay? There is one player left on the roster who has a usage percentage above 20%, so basically takes on a greater offensive role than average when he's in the game. It's Tyon Grant Foster. So what I'm saying is what's going to be fascinating is there's going to be lineups out there for Kansas if David can't really go. You're looking at Ochai Abaji, Marcus Garrett, Christian Brown, Dewan Harris, Tyon Grant Foster. That's going to be very fascinating because guess what? Christian Brown's used to passing up shots, and Ochai Abaji is used to passing up shots, and Dewan Harris is used to passing up shots. If they keep passing up shots and pass it to Tyon Grant Foster, who hasn't played in five games, I know who exactly is going to take the shots for this Kansas team. It's going to be Tyon. He has no fear. He doesn't care. He's known as a scorer. He's always had that reputation. So that's kind of a subplot here to me that's fascinating that all three of the guys, potentially, if David isn't himself, are guys that are going to be out that take on, that aren't afraid to shoot, that aren't afraid to take on a big offensive role. And KU's left with none of those players. And so if Ochai and Christian aren't basically specifically told, look, if you can see the rim, shoot the ball. Because all these other guys are out, you have to shoot it. If that doesn't happen, they're going to keep passing around the perimeter and it's going to get the tie on, and you can bet he's going to drive it. <laughs> you can bet he's going to take three. So. That's what's so fascinating about this team and the roster makeup is it's going to be so different from what's before. Basically, Tyon has not played because of the role he took on offensively and because he's been inefficient. And now he might all might almost be asked to go in there and shoot a bunch of shots and take on a great offensive role because the other guys on Kansas have not been comfortable with that particular role this year. So, yeah, I'm expecting some Tyon. He's, he's athletic, you know. He's played in big games before, at least in JUCO and AAU, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I would expect more minutes for him. Like I said, he hasn't played in five games. So this is this is crazy what could happen with Kansas in this game. But they're going to need guys like that to step up, and they're going to need guys like Tyon to especially step up on the offensive then with those other guys potentially not being available. Okay, the, I mean, put a number to it. Are, are we talking for a guy who hasn't played in five games, like playing ten <laughs> minutes would be significant, right? So, I mean, what are you expecting to see? Ten minutes? Fifteen minutes? Is he going to be one of the – you know, leading rotation guys in the front court? Like, what do you expect that to look like? Well, I honestly think it's game flow. Um, I think in Bill Self's perfect world, you know, okay, you jump out to like a 25 to 10 lead, then you can play DeWan Harris and Marcus Garrett together, you know, because you're not worried about offense as much. Those guys are just going to light up Eastern Washington defensively, and you don't have to score that much. But if Kansas gets down a little bit, uh, you need to score. You know, you need to score to get back in the game. And 
that's where a guy like Tyon could really come in handy or, or really not come in handy. Is, is, again, if Kansas is just passing up every shot it sees and guys like Christian Brown and Ochai Abaji, as we've seen in the past, you know, aren't shooting the open threes or even the semi-guarded threes that they potentially can, and they're also not that great at, you know, Marcus does a little bit, but like creating for others. DeWan does a little bit, but again, he's not much of a threat to shoot the ball. If those guys aren't creating for others, and you just have this an offense that's just looking at each other and nobody's trying to drive, nobody's trying to shoot, nobody's trying to create for others, that's maybe where you need a little bit of magic. <laughs> you need a little bit of time here. Foster, and I mean, in flashes, he's shown an ability just to get others open. And maybe he could be a really good fit out there where for to drive a little bit, find him in the corner, get an open three, and to create shots for those guys. But I guess that's what I'm saying. KU is sort of left with a bunch of players who are relying on others to get them open without many guys who actually can get those other guys open. So it is a, it is a weird roster construction makeup uh, coming into this game. And like I said, I mean, if you're missing David, you would hope you had Jalen. And uh, obviously if you're missing Jalen, you would hope you had Tristan. But it's sort of like the dominoes fell in this particular way that uh, for Kansas, it's, it's kind of all these pieces impact the others. And uh, it just leaves a, a really weird a really weird puzzle for Bill Stop to figure out. So, like I said, if Kansas gets up early and they don't need Tyon, maybe they don't need him that much. But if they get down, I mean, I was thinking, would it, could he lead Kansas in shot attempts after not playing five games in a row? I mean, what that kind would of be that would be the most that? absurd NCAA storyline for a blue blood program I've ever heard. But, but I mean, I, I'm not saying it's possible. not on the table. I'm just saying, if it happens, I'll still <laughs> say it. I'll still say it if it happens. I'll say this is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. I, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I think it's a long shot to happen. I could see it happening. And that's for a guy that has, it reminds me a few years back, uh, you know, I've been covering the program a while now, but I remember I went to Connor Frank. They used to have the open locker rooms, of the big 12 tournament. Connor Frank camp hadn't played except for like two minutes and three games. They had the open locker rooms. I went up to him to say, hey, are you ready for the NCAA tournament? If your name's called, you know, nobody else. I was just one-on-one interview. Nobody else wanted to talk to Connor, all those sorts of things. And, Sure enough, you know, as Bill Self will attest, he was KU's best player in those two games on a team that had a bunch of superstars on it and ended up losing to Stanford. But it just you just never know this time of year, and, and this is why you have time on the roster. Um, he hasn't played in the last five games, but he could be really, really important this one coming up. All right, we haven't talked much about the matchup, and I don't know how much of the answers that you just gave are dependent or reliant upon the fact that this is a bit of a unique team. You've got five guys who can shoot, then another guy off the bench who can shoot as well. So they're not um, world beaters, but they're certainly capable and willing to shoot. That's sort of the thing that stood out to me the most about this Eastern Washington team. What stands out to you when you sort of look at the, the scouting report on them? Yeah, I mean, Bill Self kind of mentioned that. It's just having the versatility to be able to shoot at all five spots. Um, a team that's really, really good at the free throw line. Uh, they don't get there a ton. I mean, just barely below average, but, you know, it's a team that makes 80% of their free throws. So, yeah, that's something you're definitely going to have to avoid with them. And, um, you know, defensively, I, I think it's a struggle, honestly. But, you know, this Kansas team has made a lot of bad defensive teams look pretty good. Uh, UTEP's the most recent one I can think of where K-State, too, has not had a great defensive year, and KU looks pretty mediocre or average. But, um, you know, this this – Eastern Washington team doesn't really heat you up. They don't really get after you, but they avoid fouls. They they rebounded okay, and you know they they do a decent job of of keeping teams away from the rim. But I mean, you you 
you are going to get decent shots against them. You're going to get a shot most possessions if you're just not completely um, doing things poorly. So, I, and and I, I mean, I'm not going to talk only about Tyon here, but but that's sort of the point on this particular matchup. Like when you have these guys, they have a a big dude inside who can score, and then they space it with four around him. But um, this doesn't look like the most athletic team in the world. You know what I mean? And and that's really where um, if KU needs that spark, if KU needs that boost, and this was going to be whether you know whether KU playing Eastern Washington or another team, um, Tyon really could be kind of a bad matchup for for that sort of team. Um, again, he's been too turnover prone, and he's he's been careless with the ball and, and has shot it too often. But if that's the sort of thing you're looking at, like, hey, you're not getting good shots, you're not moving the ball well enough, your your offense is getting a little stagnant, and you just need to go beat your man off the drive, which actually, you know, Eastern Washington does a good job of limiting assists, and he could be the sort of guy that could break down a defense, basically just get past these dudes and get to the rim and score or get fouled. And so, yeah, for Kansas, I, I think, I mean, it's tough to know matchups like, hey, is this matchup going to be good for Kansas, bad for Kansas? It's kind of tough to tell that beforehand. You basically have to look at the quality of the team. And, you know, I said this on Twitter many times, Eastern Washington compared to the 14 seeds is one of the worst ones. So that was actually a pretty good draw for Kansas. And that's why, you look at the Vegas line, they're like a 10 or 11 point favorite, even with all this other stuff going on. So I think it's a favorable draw for KU overall. doesn't mean that Kansas can't lose. doesn't mean that that whatever 18% can't happen where the Jayhawks get upset, but all in all, I don't think the KU could ask for much more from a matchup. They're going to have to watch three and have to, you know, make sure that they don't let uh, Eastern Washington get hot. But overall, this is a game that Kansas should win, uh, even with them not being at full strength. Okay, so I'm glad that you sort of brought that up. That they, that, uh, your your thoughts on Eastern Washington and thinking it's a good matchup because I did read your piece on Selection Sunday and I did see that you actually pointed out that while that's a, a good draw for Kansas, that a potential second-round matchup versus USC would be a bad draw for Kansas. I am of the belief that USC is, if not one of the more favorable teams you could have to play in this in the second round in terms of six seeds, I, I, don't, I don't view them as a super daunting opponent for this Kansas team. You can say what you're, I think you're going to say, because I already read it, and I know how you're going to respond to this, but I'm looking back <laughs> at the database here the the kiss Mary kill history of Jesse Newell this season, USC is one of the victims that you killed off. <laughs> yet you view them as a bad matchup for Kansas. Please explain yourself. Yeah. We have to pull that tape. Maybe you can do that today. I can't remember why I killed USC. I think I just didn't really have a reason, did I? That's, that's probably how it Yeah, it's, it's because you rule with an iron fist. You don't need a reason to kill a team off. You just do it for fun. It's a sport for you. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's it's sort of defining what we're talking about here. And so I really respect Jordan Sperber's work. Um, you know, he used to be a video coordinator for some college programs now, so does some great analytic stuff, kind of can see both sides, both the analytic side and the coaching side. He had an article come out this week and talked about, quote, matchups. You know, hey, if, if you're the best offensive rebounding team in the nation and you're facing the worst defensive rebounding team in the nation, is that even more of an advantage for you? And he has tried to study this. He has tried to figure it out. Hey, if this, does this give you an extra advantage? And after doing all that and doing all these very smart things, he sort of came to the conclusion that if it's out there, it, it might be. It's probably not that big of a factor. And even if it is out there, it's very hard to discern based off of what we can sort of study as humans. So you hear that all the time, you know, and it's, oh, it's all about matchups this time of year. Well, it is. And sometimes those things can be a big deal. But what I'm basing it off of when I say this is a bad matchup for Kansas is 
the predictive metrics that look at every possession are going to have a better idea of team quality than the seeds that you see. And USC, based off those predictive metrics, is the best six seed out there. So when I say it's a bad matchup for Kansas, Kansas, if it, Kansas faces USC, Kansas is probably going to be a one-point underdog in that game. That's sort of unfortunate when you're the three seed facing a six seed. If KU is facing another six seed, they'd, they'd probably be a one- or two-point favorite. That's what I'm talking about being a bad matchup for Kansas when facing USC. And so I'm not going any farther than that. I'm not saying, hey, they're facing Evan Mobley, that's bad, or whatever. I'm just saying, based off the Vegas lines, KU's probably got a 45% chance to win instead of a 65% chance to win. And that's sort of where all that comes from. Okay. All right, that's fine. I, I understand that. Um, <laughs> I think I, – I, I wonder, too, though. This is, well, this is a different conversation. But the reason why I am not super – I wouldn't be scared of, of USC is that they played really bad to end the season. And I know I've heard it a million times. It doesn't matter what you do at the end of the season. You team, you see teams get cold and going around. I disagree. You know what? And you can say, well, it's Well, the stats back it up. I don't care. How about that? How about for the first time? I'm going to tell you, I don't care what the studies say. I'm not going to favor a team that is cold, a young inexperienced team that hasn't played together for very long. You got to, Young guys, and then you got a bunch of grad transfers. You got a team that's not physical. Like that, that doesn't scream a team that's going to embrace this this indie environment. Well, that's going to embrace playing a tough defensive team that's going to get out and get physical with you, like Kansas is going to do. Like I just, I don't see USC as being much of a threat. I, I view them the same way I would view Oklahoma or any other middle of the pack. Uh, Power Six program this year? Well, I will say March 3rd uh, at home against Stanford, USC beat Stanford 79 to 42, and Stanford's been a pretty good team all year. So can't exactly say that they, you know, completely stumbled down the stretch. You know, lost to Colorado, a lot of teams are going to lose to Colorado, but uh, in the Pac 12 tournament. The thing I will say is I don't disagree with all those human factors you just mentioned. And if those are all true, and Kansas should be a two-point favorite in this game. We'll see. You know, if Kansas faces USC and is a two-point favorite, then I will come on next week's show and talk <laughs> to you about how all those things you just mentioned, perhaps some of these soft factors, all played into the fact that Vegas agreed with you and the betters agreed with you, and they made Kansas a two-point favorite, and Kansas won the game. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen based off of everything I had. And this is sort of the same argument that I sometimes hear on a weekly basis about my people like, well, this is the exception because this, and this is the exception because this. And then Missouri loses, you know, seven of its next ten games. So, um, yeah, it's just a different look at this. You know, if if I'm going out of my way to find exceptions to the rule, then I'm probably trying to overfit the model. You know what I mean? If I'm going out of my way to try to say, well, USC is good in predictive metrics, but they're not good because of X, Y, Z, I'm probably taking a step too far. Usually these things have played out over the course of time to be the most accurate things we know. And as you mentioned, uh, usually how you've done down the stretch is not an indicator of how you'll do in the NCAA tournament either. So I will trust the research and the studies that I've seen. doesn't mean it's always going to work out, but, again, we'll see. When that, when that line comes out, I'll be interested to see it. But if KU's a two-point favorite, then I will come on the show next week and definitely give you the point. All right. Um, we do have another Kiss, Mary Kill for you this week. Three tournament teams, three teams you have not had to address at any point so far this season. You know the rules by now. Kiss, Mary, Kill, Ohio State, Iowa, and Florida State. Ohio State, Iowa, and Florida State. Uh, yeah, I'll kill Florida State. I, I just, 
you know, meh, uh, in a meh ACC, meh, meh, meh on it, meh on Florida <laughs> State. Um, I will, uh, I will marry Iowa. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all in for the team that just says forget defense and mm-hmm. just going to have Luca Garza score a zillion points. Don't love their bracket, obviously, with Gonzaga, but uh, I like them to make get to the Elite Eight and see what can happen there, and then. Um, I guess I'll kiss Ohio State, you know. Um, there's a lot to like about a team that can compete in that Big Ten and, and beat teams down the stretch like they did, you know, Purdue, Michigan, going to overtime with Illinois. So uh, I think they're good. Do I think they're, you know, better than uh, a lot of the top teams out there? No, but I, I think they're pretty good, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if you did see them make a nice run. All right, there you go. Kiss, Mary kill, tournament edition with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. He may or may not be joining me next week to apologize or rub it in my face. <laughs> I guess we'll just see how this weekend goes. Jesse, thank you for the time, sir. All right, thanks, Nick. Jesse kind of brought my USC haterism back down to earth there a little bit. I, I'm still not I, – I, I don't think they're a giant or – Somebody sort of waiting to upset Kansas in the second round, but yeah, he's right. It's easy for me to say what I want to say about Oklahoma State. I can say that there's a distinction between playing well versus you've actually improved. Whereas I think Oklahoma State is playing well right now. I'm not sure that they are tangibly better than they were earlier in the season. I still view them as a fringe top 25 team in the country. Vegas still views them that way. Why else would you have this team that everybody says is underseated, that everybody says could be a sleeper pick to go to the Final Four, and they're sitting there in Vegas as a seven-point favorite over Liberty? It's because Vegas knows. The analytics know you don't just get credit for winning coin flip games. But it works the same way as well. You don't lose credit for losing those coin flip games, which like in the case of Wisconsin, it's a perfect example. Wisconsin finishes the season 17 and 12. They get a nine seed. But you look at the games down the stretch. They lose by five to Illinois, a one seed. They lose by four to Purdue, a four seed. They lose by four to Iowa, a two seed. They lose by five to Iowa, a two seed. Kim Palm doesn't look at that and say, oh, you lost four games. Lost four of your last five. You're not very good. They say, no, you were really close. You were in these games against quality competition, but for whatever reason, down the stretch, the other team maybe made one more play. Does that make them objectively better? I don't know. The difference between, for me personally, like in looking at a team like Oklahoma State versus Wisconsin, who went four and or one and four down the stretch, or USC, who went four and four down the stretch is that I'm pairing the numbers with my eyes. Like I've seen Oklahoma state play and there is a difference and and analytics cannot measure that. They cannot. I will say there are limitations to analytics and, and these are the limitations that you do need to have context in order to look at a team and say, are they playing poorly or did they get worse? Did they get unlucky or are they not as good as they were early in the season? Same thing on the other side. Is this team getting lucky? Are they winning coin flip games? Or are they objectively better than they were early in the season? So when you're filling out your brackets, you have to make the distinction between those two things. This team's hot right now. Are they hot? That's one thing. Maybe you can dismiss being hot. Or are they better? Like UConn is better than they were earlier in the season. 
There's a difference between being better and just being hot. That's where I try to sort of draw the line in teams I like versus teams I don't like when you're filling out your bracket or just trying to figure out who's going to make a run. Who's a team I want to get behind, whether it's an upset or you're just trying to put your finger on the pulse of this NCAA tournament. You know, Bill Self spoke to the media earlier. We're going to let you hear the rest of his press conference coming up here in a bit. We've also got C.J. Moore of The Athletic, who's going to join the show coming up later this hour. He spoke earlier today about the sort of situation that Kansas finds themselves in, not just with the COVID issues happening right before the NCAA tournament begins, but big picture. With the athletic department and everything they went through last week, Les Miles, Jeff Long, both gone now. Where do you see yourself fitting into this crazy sort of not just week, week and a half, couple of months for KU Athletics and the opportunity that presents itself with the NCAA tournament here? Is there more pressure? Do you feel the need to sort of do something special this time of year to bring good vibes and good mojo to the athletic department? How does any of that work? Is any of it correlated? Is there more weight on your shoulders? He was asked that earlier today at his press conference, and uh, here's what he had to say. I think it does mean more in that context, but I, but Sam, I don't think it's because I don't think it's an extra weight. I think it's something I, I, I look at this as a, as a, an opportunity to gain, not a, not a, not a situation where you can lose uh, this team. If you follow this, this team is, it's far exceeded a lot of what a lot of people thought. I mean, we weren't very good at all uh, for a good period of time. And, and, and these guys have flipped it and, and, and really committed. So I want it for them. And I'd also want some good things to happen for our, our school and our athletic department. And I know this could be a way to do that, but it's not an extra weight. It, it's, it's not anything that I feel a pressure that we have to do some. The pressure was, you know, basically uh, to, to put ourselves in a position to be in this spot. And the guys have handled that beautifully. Uh, we can't control what our roster looks like and everything. Uh, uh, we expect to play well. We expect to advance. But I don't feel the weight of the world on my shoulders that we're carrying around more of a burden than what we would have carried if it, was, if it wasn't such a strange year. I wonder if the players are at all affected. I know we like to think, oh, it's got to be difficult for these guys. These guys got to be miserable. And Bill Self was even asked earlier today about the mental health aspect of things and how he sort of has to to guide through that with these players. And I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does really eat some of these guys that they don't get to do anything, that they don't get to leave their dorm room and they just go to class, go work out, go to practice and, and go home. But this time of year, I feel like it's a little bit different because all season long, it feels like a grind. It feels like a slog. What are we doing this for? What are you doing it for? This is the answer. You are experiencing the answer. And in some regards, you may get to Indianapolis and say, oh, I worked all year to do the same thing. Well, you didn't work all year to get to the tournament. You worked all year to cut down nets, to do something special in the tournament. And so in that regard, I don't think that this experience is going to be any more difficult than what it has been over the past couple of months. In fact, I would expect it to be easier just because now you see that the end is near. Your next loss is your last one. 
So do you want to say you did all of this just to have a first or second round exit? Or do you want to say you did all of this, you put up with all of these restrictions so that you could do something special and, and etch your name in the history of one of the most historic basketball programs in the country? I don't think it's any worse than it has been this year than in any other year. In fact, I think uh, it may be a little bit easier to focus on the task at hand, knowing that the circumstances have been so brutal, you might as well keep it going for another couple of weeks if you can. I wonder at all if, if the chip on the shoulder thing is, uh, is real. A team's players, coaches are really good at manufacturing motivation. This would be the first time... Maybe 2019 was the other occasion where, as a Kansas basketball player, you get to say everybody's counting us out, right? I don't know what the data is on, in terms of people putting Kansas in the Final Four, considering they're in Gonzaga's region. I'd assume it's pretty low. I mean, all season long, this has been a, a strange sort of year for Kansas basketball. They drop out of the, the top 25 for the first time in, what was it, 16, 17 years? I don't even remember. People wondered if they were going to be a six or a seven seed. Like, just to have to get to this point has to feel like a bit of a success. Just to get to this point has to feel like you are having a season that maybe some people didn't expect you to do. Do you still get to carry that with you into the NCAA tournament? You're a three seed now. So it's not as though I can't believe you didn't feel slighted on Selection Sunday when you got a three seed. Probably feels about right. Bill Self was asked earlier, if you get to play that card, do you get to act like you're an underdog in March, being as you're a three seed, you finish the season as hot as anybody else? I don't know that you, we could spin it that we're an underdog. And I don't know that that would be something that our, our opponents would would think of. But certainly, we're, we're not at full strength. and and uh, But we weren't at full strength when we played a really good Oklahoma team. And and played pretty darn well uh, uh, in that game, especially the first half, obviously. So uh, it'll be a way that I think that we can spin it that uh, uh, I think we have a chance maybe to do something that not as many people probably expect us to do just because of the the hand that's been dealt to us. But we have a great opportunity for guys to be even better than what maybe they've had an opportunity to be uh, to this point because of, uh, uh, you know, personnel changes. So I, I, I'm excited about it. I, 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 we, we have a, we have a motto, you know, faces change, expectations do not. And I think it's one of those deals, you know, we still expect to play well and we still expect to play uh, 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 to have a chance to compete in advance, but, but we know our margin for error is probably as slim as it ever has been. Let you hear Bill Self's comments in their entirety coming up on the other side. We got CJ Moore later this hour. I'm Nick Schwert. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. He's got a piece up right now on TheAthletic.com that I would consider to be must-read for any Kansas fan. It's called Gut Checks, Hardy's Burgers, and Dean's Word, the story of Roy Williams' start at Kansas. He is CJ Moore, and he joins us now on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. CJ, when you look at this bracket, is there a region that stands out to you as being the most difficult to figure out exactly how it's going to go? Hmm, I'd say probably i, I got to look at my directions here because there really are no directions, right? <laughs> That's right, I'd, yeah. uh, I'd say the East, um, just because Michigan – with Isaiah Livers hurt and who knows if he's going to come back is, is kind of a little bit of an unknown. Um, I know everybody loves Bama and is, you know, is, 
just loving Nate's house and, and all that. And there are days when Bama looks awesome. There's also days where, you know, Bama can be pretty average. So um, I'm not convinced as Bama is like the superpower that can reach the, the final four. Maybe I'll be wrong on that one. And then, you know, Texas is my pick to come out of that region, but um, that scares the heck out of me. Like Abilene Christian scares me. BYU or Michigan State in the second round scares me for that. Um, I think Connecticut, that's going to be my pick to get to the Sweet 16 out of the bottom there. Um, if Connecticut and Texas play, like that was there. So so I'm going to be like sitting on the edge of my seat the whole time uh, for, for, you know, if I'm, if I'm rooting for my bracket and uh, rooting for Texas, I, I won't be not nervous on that one. So I, I would I would go with the a long answer there for you, but that's, that's where I'd go. I'll take it a step further. I put Connecticut in my final four and it's not even because oh, it's not like even it. not even because of like oh it's Connecticut and they're a low seeded team and it's the tournament because that might be a good enough excuse but you look at this region and Connecticut embodies it I think as well as any team you look at UConn you look at uh, BYU St. Bonaventure these are lower seeded teams that finished the season really well and maybe I'm putting too much into this but this year more than ever I'm really giving bonus points for teams who were sort of trending in the right direction before the postseason began. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's some like data that suggests it doesn't matter as much how you finish. Um, you know, there's been teams that finish crummy and then go on to a final four. But um, with Connecticut, what I would say is, is they're probably underseeded based on what they are. Because, you know, they played a decent chunk of the season without James Booknight. They're by far their best player. So, you know, really that's like a four, five seed type team, which is a seven next to their name because, you know, they're, it's, it's like if you would have taken uh, a few years ago Devontae Graham off KU's team for like eight games. Right. Yeah, I've always, I've always kind of believed in that as well. Like it doesn't matter, but I think – there's almost a fine line. Like Oklahoma State is an interesting one because they finished the season well, yet if you go back and look at some of those games, like I don't think Oklahoma State was ever playing at an elite level. I think they just won some coin flip games that could have went either way. Like UConn and some of these other teams, like they were killing teams near the end of the season. And to me, that that feels like an important distinction to make when we're talking about teams that are just playing well. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for, for for sure. I mean, um, in, in the Cowboys, I mean, uh, there's another team that's that's probably the seed doesn't doesn't go with the uh, the school or the or the, or the um the team. Like, is that a four seed? I, I don't think so. Yeah, and they got a tough draw too with Liberty in the first round. Like when you look at Liberty's good. Liberty's beat some people the last few years. Well, they shoot a lot of threes. They make a lot of threes. They don't turn it over. And I don't have any yeah. stats to back that up, but that seems like to me to be a good formula to pull off an upset. For sure. And then, you know, Tennessee has been a massive disappointment this year, I think, according to their talent. But KU fans know how good Tennessee can be <laughs> on, on one given night. Yeah, let's look at this other region because the one to me that I don't know what to do with is the South. Uh, and that's, I guess, mostly because of Baylor, which I never thought I would have said this because all year it was Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field. But Baylor hasn't looked like Baylor since coming back from 
their COVID pause. How close mm-hmm. to them being that Baylor do you view them as right now? Um, I, I almost want to – I'd love to, like, see them play the first two games before I could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could repick my bracket after those first two games because, like, all year I've been saying I was going to pick Baylor to win the national title, but um, I'll be honest, I haven't filled out – I've been so busy I haven't filled out, like, a um, friend's, you know, bracket pool yet. Wow. And, um, I, like – I don't know if I'll be picking Baylor just because I'm I'm a little nervous about, um, you know, Baylor not being Baylor-ish yet. But uh, I did talk to Scott Drew yesterday. Yeah, yesterday for for something I'm working on. And, um, you know, he mentioned that, like, during those crazy few weeks after they came back, like, they were just traveling so much and going, you know, playing so many games that, like, they barely practiced. And, you know, when you are practicing, you're, like, prepping for whatever the scout, right, whatever team you're playing. So he he, he felt like they, like that's impacted his defense um, and, like, they haven't just been able to practice defense, which is something that, like, you need to be practicing. So um, he said, like, the you know, the couple of days before that were good to just kind of just practice and just have a normal practice and kind of get back to a normal almost life. Um, in t- terms of the day-to-day rhythms of the season. So um, that maybe will help Baylor get back to Baylor. We'll, we'll see. Because that's what makes them them, right? Is the fact that like yeah, early in the season, it was their yeah. defense when we were comparing Baylor and Gonzaga. It was that Baylor had sure. probably an edge defensively. For sure. And, and lately they've just kind of been like Gonzaga, like they're just trying to outscore you. How I mean, what do you think is the gap between the team they've been? Okay, what was that? February twenty third was their first game back from COVID. Mm-hmm. They were a top two team, no question about it. Before that pause, how big has the drop off been in your eyes for them? I mean, if you just take their last, uh, like since they've come back from COVID, like, and then you ranked all the teams, they're probably. I mean, they're probably like third or fourth they're still up there I think but maybe you know they've been passed by like Illinois and I would say Michigan but then Isaiah Livers you know hurt his foot or whatever so maybe not quite Michigan at this point but I'm not sure if there's many other teams that like you say yeah that team's been better than than Baylor over that stretch because I mean if you look at it like they lost they, they lost to Kansas obviously like weren't great on that night Kansas was awesome um, and then they lose to Oklahoma State in the game. Like, they definitely could have won, but Cade Cunningham went and did some Cade Cunningham things down the stretch of that game, and, and, and they lost to, like, a really, really good team on a neutral court. So, um, you know, I, I think they've still been good since they've been back. They just quite ha- haven't been, ha- you know, as dominant as they were before. See, I actually love that you haven't filled out a bracket because now I'm just going to keep asking you questions that you're going to have to ask yourself when you are filling out this bracket. So I'm going to, I'm going to help you answer some of these questions by asking them. To I, I overthink this stuff so much. Like I, <laughs> I, like I, I, it's, I go back and forth on, on teams and yeah, I'm probably not helping myself. I, I just should have filled one out right away. Just got it done yep. with, you know, I did have to pick my final four. So I, I, uh, I know what that is. Okay. Well, don't spoil it yet because I'm going to draw this out for you. Um, let's go to the West region. Gonzaga has three teams uh, in the two, three, four, Iowa, Kansas, Virginia. They've all beaten this year. 
Mm-hmm. Do you see any scenario where Gonzaga isn't going to the Final Four? Well, of course, it's the NC. Okay, okay, a but but no, but no, <laughs> because okay, then let me ask it a different way. We've had a lot of teams enter the tournament, not necessarily undefeated, but seeming like they are unbeatable. Where does Gonzaga rank amongst those teams? Because it doesn't happen very often. But you get teams every once in a while, like 2015 Kentucky, where you just say, yeah. I don't know if anybody can beat them. Is Gonzaga to that point? I think they're really close. I think they're right there, yeah. I mean, um, two lottery picks, another dude that could be an All-American, um, another dude that's going to be probably a first-round pick, and um, Joel at Jaye or however you yeah. say his name. Apologies to him. He'll <laughs> be <laughs> but, okay. Um, I mean, and then, and then you know the the backup point guard, Nimbreed or Nim Nimhard Nimbreed Nimhard. You're getting was it. was a uh, all it was a McDonald's All American at one point. Like, you know, I bet next year when Suggs is gone, he's probably an All American. So, um, that top five right there is just ridiculous. Like, um, when they got Andrew Nimhard eligible, like it just went to a you know, even went to another level. So that's a really, really good top five, you know, pretty good bench, um, best offense in college basketball, respectable defense. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a really good team. I, I do, do you worry at all that this is a team who's played probably what one tournament team in the past no. two and a half months? Did, it hurt, mean did it hurt them when they made the, did it hurt them when they made the national championship game a couple of years ago? Uh, that's why, that's why they didn't win the national championship. Wasn't <laughs> they got to the, they got to the sixth game? And it was like, oh crap, we haven't played anybody before that. Yeah, no, it's they'll be fine. Well, I'm looking for storylines. Okay, I'm looking for something to make Gonzaga interesting because right now they seem like they are on an imperial death march to a national. Well, the championship. committee, the committee did them some favors too. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, Kansas fans aren't going to like to hear this, but like their region's the easiest. Okay, but I've heard that from a lot of people, but who could the committee have put in their region that wouldn't make you say that? Like, what's the difference to you? Is it the two seed? Is it the three seed? Like, where could you, the committee have made it harder? Them, if, you, if you put them in any other region, I think it's a, hard, it's a harder draw. So if you just swap them with any other one seed, I think all the other one seeds have – like, if, if Gonzaga was Duke and Duke had had this season and then – um, been put the committee put them in this region like people would just be going absolutely nuts that like the committee wants to see Duke win the national championship you know so you do you um, think like matchup wise like Iowa is a worse matchup for them than say Bama or Houston is an easier matchup easier, easier yeah. yeah 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 I mean we already saw what Gonzaga Iowa looks like <laughs> like you think is, is Iowa putting up much resistance to that offense no. I would have guard. I will say um, Iowa's defense has improved it has pretty dramatically Trump, lately. Like, it has, but if you really look at it, like the games where their defense looks good is against the teams that aren't great. Yeah, that's fair. And but I you know, there there are bumps there are times like second round, Oklahoma or Missouri. Well, Missouri's beat Illinois this year. Oklahoma's beat Bama. Um Oklahoma's beat some really good teams and has some good, like, they could lose in the second round. They could lose to if Creighton gets there and Creighton has a just a ridiculous shooting night, which Creighton can do. 
like I, you know, I thought Creighton was a top 10 team to start this year. They kind of been a disappointment, but that's still a really good roster. Um, you know, Kansas is different than the team they beat at the, at the beginning of the year. Now, is KU ever going to get back to what it was a couple of weeks ago with all this COVID stuff? I don't know, but, um, you know, so they're, they're in, you know, Iowa has a ridiculous offense too. So, um, I, obviously I think all of those teams on a given night in a single elimination tournament could beat Gonzaga. But um, I think Gonzaga's probably got the best shot of any one seed to get to the final four. We got CJ Moore for another minute or two from the Athletic here with us on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Is there any, I don't know, let's take away the top three seeds. Is there any of the four or worse seeds that you think have a legitimate shot at making it to the final four? And if so, who catches your eye? Okay, four or worse. Yes. So we, we can include four seeds. Right. Uh, obviously, I'll say Oklahoma State. They're the top um, dog of the four seeds in your eyes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they are. Okay, so let me ask you this, because we've had a lot of conversations about Oklahoma State this year. And at, at one point, I think we both sort of settled on the idea that it kind of felt like it was Cade Cunningham and some dudes what is that, different that about Oklahoma State? Okay, what 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 changed? Just just I from teams I watched in November, early December to now, I don't I don't know that anybody's improved more than those guys. Like it, you know, obviously Cade has been awesome throughout, but the but they they changed their offense to fit him better. Um, you know, they're just just. The other guys have been better than I thought they'd be. Um, guys like Avery Anderson have, have been really good. And um, I think Mike Boynton's done like a, a really good job. He, he showed me something as a coach this year. So um, that, that's what's changed. Like I, I was skeptical at first, but, um, but now I'm not. I'm, I'm pretty convinced they're pretty good. Now, you know, heck, it's the NCAA tournament. They could lose to Liberty. Who knows? But that's, that's probably the, the, that's the best team that's not on the, those top three lines. How do you make the distinction between teams that where you say, okay, this team's just hot right now versus, no, this team is objectively better than they were a month or two ago? I mean, it's easier for me in the Big 12 because I watch the winning games, right? right? Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not just saying this about the last couple of weeks, like I, the last couple of months. Um, so, that yeah, that's that's where I get there. With that team, some 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 other teams that could maybe jump up, um, you know, Texas Tech. Who knows? Chris Beard, that <laughs> team, not bad. Um, USC's got a really really good player. You know, that that could be a team that goes on a run. We already said on Connecticut. Uh, I, I'm I'm with you. I like Connecticut a lot. Um, BYU could could go on a run. They could also lose to Michigan State. So um, I, I think there's some teams below the the three line that could could definitely be dangerous. San Diego State. Um, you know, could be could be one that goes pretty far. Who who knows? We'll see. Is there any aspect of like team characteristics that maybe you value this year more than in years past? With the weird circumstances surrounding um, that, just the COVID protocols, the the daily testing, uh, the not being able to leave Indianapolis for you know the teams who make it to the Final Four three weeks. Does that change anything in your mind in terms of, okay, well, now I'm going to value this more than maybe I would in other years? 
not necessarily. I mean, I could maybe say experience, but I mean, I think experience is always important. So, um, not necessarily. I, I, I the, the one thing that like is kind of I've thought about in my head that I think it could change is the fact that uh, when a lower seeded team the first weekend looks like it's going to pull off an upset, what happens? The whole building becomes fans of that team almost, right? Right, right. And there's like this energy that can kind of propel them. Well, you're not going to have that. So, you know, maybe maybe if like, for instance, Ohio's, you know, making a run on Virginia, you know, the building's not going to give them that extra little boost and maybe Virginia's able to come back when in a regular year they wouldn't or something like that. So that's that's one thing I thought about. But um, I mean, the San State tournament's probably still going to be you know a wild first weekend. But that um, that that could be a possible thing to just kind of watch and monitor. Like, does that energy happen? So there's not going to be that weird, awkward silence in the building on Saturday if it's the second half and it's a four point game between Kansas and Eastern Washington. That sounds like an objectively good thing for KU fans. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's the other way I've brought it up is like Kansas at the Sprint Center. Sorry, I'll always be the Sprint Center in my eyes, right? Um, <laughs> when they're playing Oregon several years ago in that Elite Eight, like that was almost the opposite effect in terms of the nervousness of that crowd probably didn't help Kansas at all and, mm-hmm. and helped Oregon. So, um, yeah, just maybe less crowd influence, just like we've had all year. He's CJ Moore. You can check him out on The Athletic. Oh, I almost forgot. I can't let you go without giving us your final four. This is for your own good, for posterity, if you end up nailing it in a couple of weeks. Who's your final four? Uh, it's boring. Texas and 3-1 seeds. Okay. Well, I, have, I, I think there's, yeah. a, uh, there's a gap this year between um, the top four and, and everybody else. Like I think it's, it's one of those years where the one seeds are really, really freaking good. Um, I love, I've loved, 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 loved Michigan all year. But if Michigan doesn't have Isaiah Levers, that's 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 a thing. So, um, yeah, I I I think it could be a year where it's pretty chalky when you get to the end. We'll see. That would be three first time Final Four head coaches. So it's not that no, boring. Oh, I guess we te- no, no, it would not. You're you're wrong there. Let me correct you. Wait a minute. No, let's no, let's think oh. this out. <laughs> I, who are you? I, I was, who are you I was disrespecting Shaka Smart. I was okay. I was wondering if you were disrespecting Shaka or Mark Few. I wasn't sure. No, I would never disrespect Mark Few, but I do have a history of disrespecting Shaka Smart, so I apologize. Yeah, I mean, Kansas fans should know that he made a Final Four. Like, <laughs> if, 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 if you if you take all Bill, if you set Bill stuff down, and you say, what tournament loss do you regret the most? Um, I think he'd probably say VCU because I think in 2011 that like it was set up for those guys to win the national championship. It was a pretty favorable path. Uh, yeah, I'll say was, that much. And, and that that team was really really good. And had that game went differently, Shaka Smart probably not coaching Texas right now, and you're probably not Maybe putting not. Texas in the Final <laughs> Four this year. So it's the butterfly effect. You can't go back and change one thing. So. Um, I'll accept it. I don't think it's that boring. I got two one seeds. I got, I got Gonzaga and Illinois in my final four. So, um, I think there's going to be a lot of people. Then then you got UConn and and who else? I have Purdue 
in my final four. <laughs> Why I, do, you... I do love, I do love Matt Painter. Okay, I thought that was a, I thought that was a different type of laugh there. I thought that was a no. different type of chuckle. So, I mean, I'm, I think Purdue, like in 2022, as a Final Four pick, is probably going to be more realistic. But I, I am a Matt Painter fanboy. Like um, whoever you know, hey, next Kansas athletic director, if you were listening to this show. If Bill Self leaves at some point, one of your first calls should be Matt Painter. Hmm. I don't know. I don't. Get, I don't hear that name get brought up very often in regards My to God. Bill Self's successor. I, I think, yeah, I think very highly of him. Okay, so when that happens, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I'll bring you on and let you give the Matt Painter pitch for all of Kansas fans and Kansas athletics to hear. You're going to be my guy. All right, my ace in the hole, C.J. Moore of The Athletic. Again, that piece, Gut Checks, Hardy's Burgers, Dean's Word, the story of Roy Williams' start at Kansas. You can find it on theathletic.com. I would highly, highly recommend it. C.J. Moore, thank you for the time as always, man. Thank you.